I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. In the first part of this two-part episode, I introduced you to one of my new friends, someone I got to know a lot better after she interviewed me on her podcast, Alice Law. Alice is a stress management and holistic performance coach. She's an energy practitioner, an intuitive mindfulness practitioner, a speaker, and the host of the Loali Life podcast. She teaches busy executives and individuals, uh, entrepreneurs and corporations, how to strip away stress and guide them back to balance so that they can be calm, focused, successful leaders in all areas of their life and work. Alice is also the founder of the Luali Life Calm Collective, which is her accessible online monthly membership, which she created to guide women on how to connect more deeply to the calmness of their mind so that they can make room for the voice of their intuition and connect to their souls. Alice's aim to help people to live free from stress and anxiety stems from her personal story of loss, where she lost both her sister and her father in her 20s. Her holistic approach to coaching begins with her belief that the two things that are of equal importance to living in a calm, clear, and energized state are your mind and your energy, which she refers to as your soul. I'm going to be coming to discuss that whole idea of soul and how it manifests in stress, because I think that's a very interesting and unique approach to the topic. But before that, I want to talk about one of the biggest stressors in today's modern world for a 30-year-old woman, something that she calls the superwoman syndrome. Okay, so let's keep going, Alice. We spoke about the four ways you mentioned for overcoming stress. So you said shift your perspective, be present, find your purpose, and use your intuition. And I'm going to be blunt here in a very, very respectful way. But in reality, many of my listeners, as you can imagine, would come to me with a few of their problems. And I, one of the toughest times, I would say, in the life of a woman is in her 30s. You know, there's so much societal pressure. There are so much expectations. There are choices that are actually quite challenging. Do I focus on my career? Do I focus on my family, my life, and so on and so forth? Do you feel those stresses too? Or are you like easy, calm, and no problems at all? I have to say, even though I'm easy, calm, and you know, no problems at all, in inverted commas, I, that is the, one of the biggest stresses in my life, as in being a woman in her 30s. And it's such a weird shift to go from being in your 20s to being in your 30s, because exactly as you've said, suddenly, for some unknown reason, there are a million societal <laughs> expectations and pressures that suddenly seem to arise from being a woman in your 30s. And I know that this is not something I feel myself. Every single girlfriend I have talks about it to me in their own different way. Like whether it's, um, you know, I have some girlfriends who are pregnant and they worry about, 
you know, what people will think if they want to do less work when they're pregnant and not work as hard. Or I have girlfriends who are single who are, you know, really not wanting to be single, but equally they want to work and all these different things. And it just kind of goes in a massive, almost like washing machine of pressure from different angles for people. And I think the biggest problem is, I mean, I call it superwoman syndrome. What is that? Well, I think it's superwoman syndrome and that we now feel we're kind of at a time where obviously it's incredible. We get to have these choices, which we never had before. I mean, you have to remember once a time when women couldn't even have a credit card in their own name, which is just so crazy, but it's really not that long ago. Hold on. Are you serious? So there was a time when there was credit cards, but women were not allowed to have it? Yeah, I know that's definitely for sure in America. Yeah, it was 100% even in the 50s. So it really wasn't that long ago. And so obviously we've come such a long way in terms of what we can do and careers and choices and being able to work and, you know, want to have a family at the same time and all those things. And it's incredible. But the downside of that, I think, is that there's now this increased pressure to do all of that. So to look a certain way, to have the right job, to have the right guy, to have kids at the same time as doing the job and having the perfect relationship also having a great social life. There just seems to be a lot more open pressure about things, whether we put it on ourselves or whether society has, it's all there and out in the open because of social media and what everyone's doing and everyone can see everyone's lives right in front of them, almost like a you know, conveyor belt. So this is the superwoman bit. Like, so you're basically saying every woman now is under so much pressure to become a superwoman, to become all of those at the same time. Yeah. I believe that to be true. Yeah, I believe that to be true. It's a very, and that's why I think it causes a lot of stress for women in the 30s. Like you said, you know, it's a stressful time because of this increased pressure. And that pressure doesn't just come from that superwoman syndrome. It also comes from putting it on ourselves as well as other people putting it on us. So, you know, you hear even in conversations sometimes, and women don't mean to. I truly believe this. It's just sort of a, the way it's been programmed now, you know, you'll hear someone say, oh, she's got an amazing job and she's got kids. Or someone will say, who works and doesn't have kids, but, you know, oh, she has help or whatever. There's always that kind of like, oh, she can't possibly do all that herself. And some people obviously, you know, we can't, we're all programmed in different ways. And I think the sort of calmness of like living with your own authenticity is what's right for you. You know, if you want to work, 72,000 hours a week and have three kids and be that person who does it all, then you absolutely should. But for some reason, there's been sort of a pressure and a bit of shame that's come with if you don't want to be that woman, if you want to choose one or the other, if you perhaps just want to work or perhaps you just want to have a kid and relax or it's just there's a lot of sort of judgment, I think, that's coming with the pressure. How would you handle that? I think it starts with yourself. I really do. I think the most judgment we do in our 30s is to ourselves. The reality is, is that everyone cares what they're doing. You know, no one cares what you're doing, really. You know, we're all so, so looking at ourselves, every human being. We all think that everyone's thinking about us when really they're all thinking about themselves as well. And um, I, think that, I think that judgment really starts with you, you know, not being judgmental of yourself, accepting where you are at that time in your 30s, whether you want to be in that place or not, you know, when you're single, and perhaps you don't want to be single anymore, or when you are, you know, wanting to have a kid, and maybe it's not working, all these different things, just accepting where you are in that moment in time. And I think that really comes down to also spiritual practice, 
acceptance and compassion is such a big part of having a good spiritual practice with ourselves and not judging ourselves for not being where we want to be. Can you give us an example of your own life? I mean, you seem to be in that superwoman space. You're active on Instagram, you're coaching, you have your club, I don't know what you call it, the members thing. You're actively engaged in life in so many ways. So how do you balance it as a person? Yeah, I mean, I think I feel the pressure for me. It comes with thinking, oh, okay, I haven't met the person I want to, you know, be within a relationship and have a family with one day. That's the pressure I put on myself. Did you hear that single guys listening to Sloma? <laughs> so there she is, right? I mean, stand in line and <laughs> you, have to, you have to go through me first. I'll interview you and pass you qualified candidates. <laughs> you have a, have a screening process. <laughs> under lockdown and the current circumstances, it actually is quite a challenge, isn't it? Yeah, totally. And I also, that's a good point with the lockdown. It's been, um, I've heard a lot of my friends say that, you know, every relationship in their 30s seems to have either been completely sort of accelerated in terms of, you know, people having kids like that who probably weren't even thinking about it before or getting engaged or all these sorts of things. So it's accelerated sort of couple speed and has totally stagnated single people's speed, which is a very weird thing to kind of have to navigate, I think, for a lot of single people at this time. A lot of stress, I have to admit. And I, I agree with you that we should not judge ourselves. By the way, I actually believe similar stresses, even though not at the same intensity, are with men in their 30s. I think we almost get the opposite, if I remember correctly, because it seems that somehow a man's brainwashed completely in their 30s. They don't think anymore. They just rush through life, you know, work, 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 make money, conform to the ego and so on and so forth. And of course, there are the pressures of also maybe building a family or getting in that direction or whatever. So I understand the pressure. I also understand that we shouldn't judge ourselves, but there are practical sides to this, right? So definitely, Someone needs to have someone in their life. They need to have a family. You know, my female listeners will talk about a biological clock. And if I don't meet him by after tomorrow, then by the time I fall in love, it's going to be three weeks later. And then, you know, it's that calculation, which basically says, mm, we're missing pregnancy by two days. That's not a good plan. And that's a lot of stress as well. <laughs> Yeah, it's totally true. I also think that partly, again, although some of it is totally biological, sadly, partly a bit of it comes down to that societal pressure again. Like you hit 30 and you think you have to be with the person that you should be with as a woman. When, you know, I think about, say, my mum, I think she had me when she was 37 or something, and my sister when she was 35, which is amazing and a great age but you look around and you kind of see everything we've just been talking about and then you put that pressure on yourself so it comes back to that relationship with yourself I think again it's something that I really have to practice myself every day at the moment every week because of the conditions we're all living in like feeling stagnated in these parts of our lives so if there's nothing you can do in the outside world we can't change that we can't control it then what can you do to make yourself feel at peace with it whilst it still is your reality? Mm, I love this. Actually, that leads me to one of my favorite quotes that I heard from you. I don't remember where I heard it, so you guys should search for it. You said our mind directs our energy and our energy directs our reality. Can you expand a little bit on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm such a believer in energy and energetics and I practice Reiki and these sorts of things, but the mind energy connection, you know, it's such a strong link in being able to actually heal ourselves emotionally and move stagnant energies in our emotional system. We've all had that feeling, for example, when you feel like um, you've got anxiety in your chest or just like a pressure in your chest found that you can actually meditate and visualize energy healing you know through visualizations and actually move these kind of emotional blocks essentially through you which is an incredible thing but the whole mind directing you know our energy directs our reality i believe it's because we embody our own feelings you know we embody what we are whether we're thinking about it or whether we are feeling it we're constantly putting out that energy and people always tell when you feel sad people can always tell when you you're not yourself or you feel slightly off or your energy's low you know if you know someone well enough you walk into a room you have that sense when someone's not quite right and you have that sense of coming away saying oh my god they're on the best form at the moment you know that kind of feeling and that's the whole your energy directs your reality it's that being in that space where you are totally aligned with what you want to bring in and what you want so you can direct not just your reality but also your feelings and your emotions and your reaction to your life really i think that's very very profound and i think that's that idea of of being in charge i once heard you say that you dream of living in a world where everyone is responsible for their own healing which at the beginning when i read that or heard that the first time i was like that doesn't make sense you know we're supposed to be helping each other out in a way but but the, but the concept of no no hold on my healing of course i can get all of the help i need but my healing is my responsibility is actually quite interesting and and you use energy for that yeah i i just it is one of my dreams <laughs> it really is because i think about the sort of i believe we're all on a continual healing journey you know i don't think it ever stops i don't think it ever should stop i think that exploring your own healing exploring your own development is an ever evolving process for you to continue to get to the next level of yourself and if when we stop growing we start to go backwards and there's that amazing quote isn't there something if you when you stop learning and growing then you start to die so i do believe that it's kind of like reverse and you become stagnant in yourself so if everyone took responsibility for their own development and their own healing I always think about it and I think oh my god how incredible because you have these encounters in life with people who are sadly so so off the beaten track with their own healing and that they haven't done any yet and you can see how traumatized they are from certain things and how it's playing out in anger or resentment or jealousy or different ways or mistrust and lack of compassion all these different things and I always think to myself oh it just makes me so sad that not everyone has the i guess insight but also the courage and willingness to heal themselves because it really does take courage to have to do the healing work for these kind of things if it was easy you know everyone would do it <laughs> but, it's, <laughs> but it's not yeah it definitely isn't you know this entire conversation i have been waiting to ask you this question so most stress management consultants or coaches or whatever will talk about the physical element of it you know like what you can do in your daily life you know what habits that you need to change and so on and and you work on that as well but the interesting bit that i actually am not fully comprehending is you talk about something called being spiritually stressed 
What is spiritually stressed? Yeah, spiritually stressed for me, it means when we are totally out of alignment with our true self, our soul self, and that causes us stress because I truly believe that, you know, you have your soul and that is the most unstressed part of you because your soul's natural essence is so far from stress. It's like that. Um, I always say, just as you would say, everyone's born happy. You know, we're all born calm and happy and no baby's first words are ever, I'm so stressed. <laughs> we, <laughs> we learn stress ourselves from being a human and being in this environment and everything going on around us. But our soul is naturally calm and at ease and the opposite of stress. So spiritually stress for me is partly about not being in alignment, like I said, with your soul, not being connected to that ease of yourself, that flow of life, that simplicity and that calm that your soul resides in. And also the other side is when your soul actually may be trying to get your attention and make you feel a little bit uneasy because you're so far out of balance of what you really are meant to be doing or you're meant to be living or the sort of kind of person you're here to be. If your soul, I do believe, feels that you're totally off track in your human self and you are doing something that's totally out of alignment with your true self, then it will try and make you feel uncomfortable to get your attention to be like, hello, no, no, this is, <laughs> this is not our direction. <laughs> And we often ignore all these things as humans. And we have those, I think a lot of people have had those situations where you get a little sign and you ignore it. And then you get a bigger sign and you still, your human self goes, oh no, I'm just going to ignore that. And then suddenly you get like a side swipe boom, from life. And it's so blindingly obvious. It's like, no, no, you have to look at this now. And that I think is also yeah, part of the spiritually stress. But you speak about the soul almost as if you know, that soul is something that we all know and connect to and see and understand. I mean, again, I, I don't mean to push back, but of course I believe that there is something other than our physical form, but not everyone does. So does that mean that those people will just constantly live in stress and never find a way out? No, of course not. You know, it's all everyone's personal, personal relationship, but I don't, of course they won't always live in stress but I don't believe that they will find the level of peace that they're searching for because that sort of peace only comes from a really deep knowing within that connection to something within yourself that you can't really describe. It's like a place inside us that is totally still and at ease and you can't describe it in your mind because it doesn't exist there. It's almost the very sort of center anchoring point of view that you can feel, but you can't describe or talk in that way. Hold on, I'm going to stick there for a second. <laughs> so I, I speak to a lot of spiritual teachers and that idea of the soul, the spirit, the real you, as I called it in Soul for Happy, you're putting it as a definition. First of all, it's not in your mind. It's not even physical. So this is something that is beyond this, the noise of all that we're going through but you're saying that it is very obvious, very clear, very still. And, you, and if you find it, it's, it's undeniable. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, totally. I think it's when you hit it, even for like a moment, say you sit with it for, you manage to connect to it for a few minutes, you realize that you've never felt that way before, if that makes sense. It's a sort of that deeper stillness that you didn't realize was even 
real until you first connect with it. So it seems so strange, obviously, for people to contemplate if they have really been disconnected from that side of themselves or have no interest in it or, you know, or just not believing in their spiritual side or their spirituality. But it's always there. It's within everyone. I do believe that. I believe there's a sort of divine spark that lives within each of us. And that little bit of spark as well is your soul. And how do we connect to it then? If you, you know, in your practice, how do you help people reach it, find it, connect to it? Yeah. I mean, the first part is really understanding the difference between your mind and your soul voice. And so what I mean by that is the ego really in the soul. So a lot of spiritual teachers will talk about that concept of the ego versus the soul and how we really, the ego lives in fear and the soul lives in love. And that's one of the sort of starting points to look at, okay, what was that conversation I just had in my head? Would my soul speak that way? Because was it judgmental? Was it fearful? Was it anxious? Yes, then it's not your soul. <laughs> that's the sort of simpler side of it. It's your mind sort of playing tricks on us as it always does. But connecting to our soul as well, the massive part of it is feeling, which obviously so many of us are so, we've been programmed to push aside our feelings, you know, don't process our emotions, ignore feelings. And by doing that, we've actually quietened our intuition because our intuition works on feelings. You can have an intuition that is totally different in terms of how it communicates with you and how mine communicates with me. You know, I've had um, a client before who has a yes behind his ear, you know, <laughs> it's like a twitch and different things you have to understand to, I get people to sort of start to speak to their bodies and understand the language it's trying to communicate to you in because your intuition speaks through your feelings and your body, as well as those sort of intuitive download of thoughts as well that are so sort of clear and just come out of nowhere. So again, I, I'm looking at the quotes I wrote down when I was preparing uh, for this conversation. Feeling, it seems to you, is the, is the gateway. It's where we can start to find our path. And you, you say you can't heal what you refuse to feel. I love that. As a matter of fact, I wrote about that in one of my future books called That Little Voice in Your Head. The idea that we've been trained almost entirely to suppress those emotions to suppress what we feel. And accordingly, if you ignore a feeling, you can't even start thinking or healing the causes behind it. Now, feelings, however, sometimes are harsh, especially feelings that are related to something you need to heal. So it is expected that we would refuse to feel them. Well, what would you do about that? Yeah, I totally agree. And I've done it before myself. I mean, I, when I lost my sister, I was in my mid-twenties and I was really doing the, well, she'd been ill for years before, but so during that time I was really doing the resist and just try and push away, do the distraction for grief. Everyone, all my friends were partying. It was very easy to do it that way. And I really did push it away and it came out instead after a breakup nearly a year later because I just should put sort of plasters over it and thought it was all fine. And then when I lost my dad, I was, I knew better. <laughs> and I had been through this experience and done all the work I now do. And I was like, okay, I'm going to really actually sit with this and, and feel it. And it was the most painful experience of my life. I will not say it wasn't, but I came through it in a much easier 
way in the end and a different level of acceptance than I didn't think was possible and a sort of peace with it that I didn't think was possible. So I'm really glad I sat with those feelings, even though, you know, any sort of person would not want to, and that's totally understandable. But I think it all comes back to that willingness and courage again. We have to try and have the courage to face our feelings so that we can move through into the good ones again, because the longer we resist the bad ones, the, just the more they'll persist. So it's almost like a simple mathematical calculation saying, look, you can take a bit of an intense pain now, but that will reduce the long-term sustained pain, or you can just avoid it and it will just continue for a very, very long time. Exactly. Yeah. I think that does take a lot of courage as a matter of fact. And maybe also, I think it takes guidance, you know, not everyone can just sit with it. Sit with it is a very, it actually is the same word I use to sit with it, to say, okay, you know, this situation is really bothering me. I mean, lockdowns, for example, I feel very anxious about my inability to do what I want. I feel frustrated with the, whatever the government decision or whatever, and just sit with it, sit with it and say, okay, it's okay to feel that way. It's, it's my truth of how I feel inside. Yeah, I think the best way, though, to start when people can't think, oh, I just don't want to sit with this right now, is to get a pen and paper out and sit with it, but write. Because when we start writing, all sorts of things come out that you didn't, didn't even know were in your mind, that you didn't even know you were feeling. It just like allow yourself to sit and just write how you're feeling and just allow yourself to process it that way, because it really does really does help. It's such a therapeutic technique. It allows us to get all those hidden emotions out and onto paper and make sense of them. We could go on for a long time, but um, I'll close with one last question. So I understand we, we're all born calm and then we run out of calmness, if you want. We get stressed by the lifestyles. But then also you say calmness is a skill. You know, if it wasn't everyone would be calm. I, again, I loved that one. I, I wrote that one down. And so you seem to be having that skill inherently in you, but skills take practice. So would you share with us what is your top calm practices, things that you do on daily or weekly basis that keeps you calm? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first thing would be meditation, which I'm sure a lot of people listening will sigh and go, oh, no, because people have such resistance to it but I truly you know even if you only meditate for two five minutes a day it makes a total difference and by that I mean just sitting with your own breath for two minutes and breathing deeply because we don't as we know we you know if you don't consciously take the effort to breathe deeply you won't breathe deeply all day that's just the way we're now running our bodies so just sitting and breathing deeply for five minutes or meditating for 10 minutes, that's the number one thing, because I really think meditation totally changes your perspective on life and it totally changes how you respond instead of react. What's the difference? React and respond. Mm -hmm. Reaction is if I react to something you've said, I'm not in control of what I'm giving back. I could be saying anything and it could be angry. It could be not what I want in the end. A response is our sort of chosen method of communication afterwards, how we want to choose to go about a situation ourselves instead of just reacting in the moment. So I think with stress particularly, it's super important, but 
in life, obviously, it's so needed. We all want to be in that space where we have the choice of how we respond. Okay, meditation, that's one practice. What's another practice? Yeah, meditation, journaling, like I said, I journal every day, whether it's just, you know, how am I feeling today? If I'm not feeling great, then I then journal, how do I want to feel today? And then I look at how do I want to feel, get into the sort of energy of that feeling. And then I choose one thing I can do that day that will help move me towards that feeling. So one tiny thing, not some, you know, huge out there, you know, to the moon, just one tiny, small little step that is manageable and move you towards that, that happier energy. And I do also dance every day, I oh, will say, fantastic. just around my living room. Fantastic. <laughs> I believe, I believe in that totally, totally. I think, I think especially for the feminine of us, dancing is, it's called dancing, by the way. Dance is very British, but yeah, uh, <laughs> every day. Just for five minutes. I try to put on one of my favorite songs every day in lockdown, particularly, and make sure I dance to something happy because I love dance anyway, but I do really believe that it's such a great way to move dense energy when we're feeling sad to shift ourselves into that happier happier space and also it is like you say it's i mean it's the language of the soul i think it's the language of the feminine so even if you don't think you're good at dancing you're going to be expressing your soul in a way that's actually super healthy for your spiritual health well alice i uh i can't thank you enough i think this was a wonderful 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 enlightening conversation very calming for sure i will give you that <laughs> and i am almost certain that your sister your father ali are watching us and smiling and thinking that we, uh, we're doing well. We're doing well with the life that has been given to us. I think, I don't know if you feel the same way, but sometimes I feel grateful that my wonderful son left us, you know, in a wonderful way. And now in his next journey, if you want, because it launched me into what I do. And I feel grateful perhaps to the hardships that you went through because it launched you into what you do. And it's incredible that you're doing it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's one of those weird, like you say, you, you feel happy, but also, you know, you miss them, but you are grateful because, you know, it started a journey that you wouldn't probably have embarked on otherwise. Wonderful journey. Indeed, wonderful to have you, Alice. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And for all of you who joined us, Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow me on social media. Search for Mogaudat, Slow Mo, Soul for Happy, or One Billion Happy. I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, there is always time to slow down. Until next time, stay happy. <laughs>